This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Hammers Unrestricted podcast in association with the Big Heads Media Group. This week we're going to be discussing the defeat to Manchester City as well as looking ahead to the clash with Leeds on Monday night. I'm your host James Wood, writer and editor of WestHamZone.com. Be sure to check us out for all your latest West Ham news seven days a week. I'm in good company this week. Firstly, back by popular demand it has to be said, I have Jimmy. How you doing Jimbo? You alright? Feels good to be back by popular demand, and uh, yeah, let's get it rolling. <laughs> good stuff, mate. And uh, I'm happy to say we're also joined this week by our good friend Yain Thomas, who's based out in Los Angeles. How's it treating you, Yain? You're good, mate. Yeah, decent, mate. It's good to have you on finally after going AWOL on us last week. Do you want to explain what happened there? Uh, <laughs> took a last-minute trip to Miami and decided to not reply to anyone because I didn't have didn't have it in me. Well, it's uh, good to have you on this week, mate. Should we start with the city game, guys? I did watch it at 4.30am in the morning. Yeah, that is dedication from you, to be fair, mate. Right, so uh, we'll start the City game. So, obviously, um, it was a shame to be defeated 2-1 this week. Uh, Jim, what were your thoughts on City's performance? Um, Well, City do what City do. Last week, I predicted them to do the quad. And these are the type of games. They they weren't at their best. We made sure they didn't play at their best, but they grinded out the win. And they've just got quality all over the pitch. Yeah, a goal's always in a locker, even if it's the centre-backs popping up. they got goals everywhere. Um, Johan, what were your thoughts on the goals anyway? So we conceded in the first half from Ruben Diaz after a cross from Kevin De Bruyne. Obviously, like in these type of games, like when you're playing against like such a big team, like you just can't give away stupid fouls. You always have to be pressing. And that's where it kept, like that goal came from. Like As soon as De Bruyne got it, Johnson like, didn't go up to him quick enough. And then he just gets a cross in with his left and... I mean, you can't do much about that cross because it was perfect. Yeah, you're bang on, mate. I mean, you mentioned Johnson there as well. I think he really struggled, didn't he? I think it's fair to say. It was a big challenge for him playing against Riyad Mahrez, but he really struggled. Booked in like the first 20 minutes. And like, so as soon as you do that, and then that was his like fourth foul of the game already. Yeah. So as soon, as soon as you do that, like you just, you can't do anything for the rest of the game. Like you say, there was, there was two, three, maybe four fouls early on. Even the one where he'd done him, he just gets the ball, touches it round him, and he has to just pull him down straight away. He couldn't really get near him. And after that, like you say, he's walking on eggshells for the rest of the game. You can't really go near Mahrez after that. And with the form he's been in lately, you know, it was always going to be a difficult challenge for him. I thought Jesse Lingard looked really good again. What did you make of his performance, Jim? Maybe the first half in particular. Um, Look, he's bought into what Moise is doing and the way he presses it. And that's what you're going to get from him every week now. And... As it was clearly stated last week, I didn't think this would be the case. I didn't think he'd buy into it as well as he did. Um, but I think everyone at the weekend bought into um, the game plan. And that's why we pushed him so far. I mean, we got got undone by a bit of quality. Kevin De Bruyne's ball was just incredible. One man I do want to talk about as well is Vladimir Sufal. So he, he bombs on uh, down the right, gets the ball played out to him. Uh, gets the ball across where Lingard drags a shot into Antonio. Now, Sufal was excellent, I think, the other day. He was really good again. Um, I've got some stats that I just want to make you aware of here. So, 80% passing. That is 80% of long passes were also successful. 
Uh, he made three interceptions. He recovered possession seven times and he was successful with 100% of his dribbles. Five million quid we paid for him. What do you think of him, Yai, this season? Mate, he's just been so class. Like, to just be able to come into a team and then play as well as he had and, like, most weeks as well. Like, that's just what you want from every player. Like, if you have every player, like, putting up those stats every week, like, you, you will get the result. So, Jim, as a right-back yourself, you know, um, a goal-scoring right-back, I should say, what have you made of his performances this year? Well, you do flatter me, Wood. He's, he's been rock solid. No one expected it from him. I didn't have a clue who he was. But like Ian said, he's putting in every single game, seven and eight out of ten, and he's reliable. And he's just been a class bit of business. When we faced City earlier in the season, he, he played against Sterling and Sterling done nothing. England superstar, one of our best players probably going forward. He done nothing. He's also kept quiet the likes of uh, Wilfred Zahar, Hamas Rodriguez, Jack Grealish, he's managed to kick quite a couple of times as well. Uh, Ferran Torres was his latest victim, if you like, the other day. He, he played on the left wing, taken off after an hour. Um, really didn't get a sniff against Soufal. I think it's just a testament to how good he has been this year. He's taken to the league so well. Since Moyes has come back and he's made some proper shrewd signings in the transfer market, yeah, I'll start with you. Who do you think has been the best signing he's made so far? I feel like it's definitely too early to say Lingard, so I'm not going to do that. But you have to go with the pair. Honestly, I'd put them two together as Suchek and Sufal. Just pairing them two together and like what they've brought to the team, like with Suchek just like sitting in with Rice and adding like adding to the spine of the team, and then Sufal coming in and just making it rock solid, like and just the way he offers a defensive presence as well as a. I was about to say offensive, but that's so American. Attacking presence. We've got a split audience here, so we'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, so I'd, I'd definitely say them too. Uh, Jimmy? Uh, for me, if I had to pick one and I was pushed, it would be Suchek. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the goals that he's brought. I know he came in for a higher price tag, so if we sort of factor that into who we think the best is, that might work against him when compared to Sufal. But I just think his presence in the middle, like I said, his goals, I can't see who replaces Suchek. That's why I'd have to pick him. Because Sufal, I know we've struggled to find a right back for years, but I feel like irreplaceable Suchek has begun to that midfield. At the start of the Man City game, he, within the whole season, has covered more ground than anyone else in the Premier League, which is crazy. I think an argument has to be made for Craig Dawson. Um if I'm going to give my opinion as well. I mean, a man who, I'll admit, right when we signed him, I was... I wouldn't say I was fuming, but I wasn't. I was a bit underwhelmed by the signing. I didn't think it was a very positive thing. I thought it was typical, typical Golden Sully, you know, up to their old tricks, trying to get somebody on the cheap. But actually, forgot that he was part of the squad, part of the club until he came in for uh, it was Southampton away. Uh, we drew nil nil. Was his first game, and I text one of my mates, Frank. Um, Hi, Frank, if you're listening. I text him saying, "Oh, look who's in the squad," and we both had a bit of a laugh about it. But we kept four clean sheets in his first four games. That's crazy. And he went on, he scored three goals in his first eight games in all competitions. Like, I just think it's been an excellent signing. And we've lost Bonner to injury. We don't know how long he's going to be out for. And he's just stepped up, hasn't he? And I hope we sign him on a permanent at the end of the season, definitely. I mean, yeah, the stats don't lie at the end of the day. Like, the four clean sheets, like, pretty much unheard of. He's yeah. doing he's doing something right. 100% agree with that. Yeah, so let's just talk a bit more about the Antonio goal in. So as I said, there was a lot of good build-up play. So uh, Johnson picks up play. Fennels does well to find Sufal, who does excellent down the right, to put a ball into Lingard, who drags a shot. Um, 
the striking instincts of Antonio to be there to tap it in. You just wouldn't have got that two or three years ago from him. I think he's been incredible since he's uh, transitioned into a striker. Um, it's a shame, really, that he didn't make the switch up front before we signed Haller because we could have saved forty-five million quid there straight away. I think. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But no, I didn't see it when we signed him that one day he'd be converted into a striker. Um, didn't see it coming, but he has all the attributes to do it. Every single game that he plays, defender knows that he's been in for a game there and he doesn't give them a moment's peace. Just bullies defenders, like Jim said. Like You know he's there and you know you've played a game against him. He's and a then, handful, isn't he? He's a handful. Like Just being able to add the goals that he has been adding and even though he is a bit clumsy still, improving every single day. That is the first Prem goal they've conceded that he had since the 15th of December. And that was against West Brom, and that was the Ruben Diaz own goal. So it wasn't even opposition. And that's six home clean sheets in a row that they would have had. Um, so, yeah, it, it goes to show how hard it is to score. Miguel Antonio has, in that goal there, become the first opposition player to score from open play at the Etihad since the 27th of September. I think that's crazy. It's crazy because we had other chances. And, like, that's that's the most important thing about playing against the big teams is, like, you have to take the chances that you get. Antonio, when he scuffed it, all he had to do was actually connect with that and it would have gone in the bottom corner. And it, you're like Gian said, it's not easy. We set up five at the back uh, primarily to defend. So when we do go forward and we do, sh- at the end, it's a deal, there's a chance to draw the game. Not many teams can even sort of put on any type of display, whether defensive or attacking. And the fact that we showed a bit of both, is why no one's ever happy with a loss, but this loss doesn't feel as bad as any other because we've come up against one of the best in Europe and given such a good show of ourselves. I, th- I think it's fair to say in the second half, we didn't really offer anything. Um, we worked hard. We, we chased the ball down as we did in the first half, but we didn't get a sniff of possession. I mean, the goal was good. I mean, I think they had the opportunity to change the game because of how strong their bench was. Um, compared to ours, it's not an excuse. I mean, City have got a lot of money, as Pep said in the week. They've got a lot of options on the bench, which I'm going to read out to you here. We had Sterling, Jesus, Stefan, Laporte, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Mendy and Jao Cancelo, which cost nearly £500 million between them. No, that's that's where it comes to making a change in a game because like, we made two subs on the 84th minute and they, they were the first subs that we made in the game. Man City made three subs what do you expect is going to come from a game when they've made three subs and we're making our first two subs at 84th minute? So ultimately we were undone by a winner in the 68th minute. Um, it was that man again that we mentioned earlier on, Riyad Mahrez, um, causing nightmares down our left-hand side for Johnson. He got a ball across to John Stones to finish well. Um, Jan, what did, what did you make of the goal? Mahrez has just twisted him inside and out, first of all. He's, he's done very well. And to get that ball in, he's waited, he's waited his time, turned back, put it into Stones, and Stones just probably has five yards all around him. No one stepped up to him, which you just can't do against a team like that, even if it is a centre-back. And then he just slotted in, great finish. But just having no one man-marking him at that point when there's like, I think there was six, six or seven of our players in front of him, and no one stepped up to him. You just you just can't do that against a team like that. Yeah, so he's he stopped running and obviously defend our defenders. It's just instinct to get closer to goal to defend it. John Stones does well. He just stands still, and that just creates a space. And he really has come on this year, John Stones, the Rolls Royce of centre backs in the Prem this year. And 
yeah, he's looked class at the back, at the front. He's he's really come on. I think he could play a big part in the Euros this year, actually. Of course, 100%. Stones and Diaz have scored more goals than they've conceded in the 16 games that they started together for City this season. That is mental. I don't know what the exact number of goals is, but that is a crazy stat. So with your predicted quadruple that you called last week that I'm going to bring up every week now... Are they going to win this quadruple with those two at the back together? Does Laporte come back in? As long as those two are fit. You can't change it. Why mess? Why mess a winning formula? Okay. I mean, that's one of the crazy things about Man City this season is like, obviously the depth of their team is crazy, but the teams that Pep's been putting out, like they've been different mm. quite a lot. Nothing changes with the result. Like they, they just always win. He keeps changing, keeps changing the team. But normally when you do that, get a run of bad results but he can just keep doing it because of the depth that he has they've just got goals everywhere haven't they see it's a great side I wouldn't be surprised if Edison did start taking penalties I was about to say it (laughs) I was about to say I'm surprised he's not on the score sheet yet Uh, Jim I know you wanted to speak briefly on a game at the bottom of the table so the floor is yours my friend Um, well it's just mainly one instant uh, that happened in the West Brom Brighton game uh, it was just comical scenes from Lee Mason, who's then instructed uh, Dunk that he can take a quick free kick, but he doesn't realise the West Brom keeper is on the wrong side of the goal, and he quickly corrects himself, blows the second, uh, the whistle a second time, um, just before it's about to go in, and he's overturned the goal on VAR. And Lewis Dunk in the, in the post-match interview is fuming, and Rightly so. I think Lee Mason doesn't have to come out and say anything um, because they don't have to and they're not held accountable. And I think it's important maybe this being a prime example that we start micing the refs up so we know exactly what's happened on the pitch. Everyone would know the score. And I feel like the quality of the game would increase and I don't know why they haven't done it sooner. I think that's the biggest frustration from the fans' point of view, isn't it? That we, you know, sitting there at home, are just none the wiser to what to his thought process. He hasn't had to come out after the game. He hasn't had to come and explain his decision. Um, he's actually removed himself from the limelight as well. I'm not sure if you knew, but he was supposed to uh, be the fourth official in the Liverpool versus Sheffield United game 24 hours later. Uh, he pulled up with an injury, apparently, <laughs> at the end of this game. So he was out. Mm-hmm. I think he's out this weekend as well, actually, it's been said. It's a joke, really, isn't it? He's having a cup on the couch. Just watching it go by. I mean, you should definitely, like, after the game, address, like, why you made that decision. And I do agree with Jim about the mics. Like, it definitely is something that should clear it up. So so the rule is that you have to check with the keeper that he's ready before, like, before you blow the whistle. It, like, so if that's, if that's what it is, like, he shouldn't have given the goal in the first place. He should have just known. Like he shouldn't have even had to go to VAR. He just retake it. I mean, so, ima- imagine, imagine Brighton go down. Imagine they get relegated because of that. They're still in the battle, you know. The Mikel Antonio goal that he scored. Um, that was his forty-third goal in the Premier League for West Ham. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, it puts him three goals behind Mark Noble, who's on 46, and it puts him four goals behind our record Premier League goal scorer, is Paolo Di Canio. So, Antonio has got to score five more goals to be our record goal scorer in the Premier League. 
does this make him a West Ham legend? That is a good question. Like record-wise, and like, like if you're just going purely off stats, like of course. But like in my eyes, no. Really, you don't not, see not him as a legend. Not yet. What would he have to do to to become a legend in your eyes? What, what would he have to do? You say like win a piece of silverware, maybe. Don't, I, I just don't see him as like, oh, like that's Antonio. Like he's a he's a legend. Don't see him as that yet. But the can I don't believe the Canio won anything with West Ham. Do you see him as a West Ham legend? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Am I putting you in a hard space here? I'm putting you. <laughs> I'm putting you in a bit of a hard spot. You <laughs> really put me in it, but I don't know. I just don't see him as a legend. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Yeah. I'm going to ask the same to you, Jim. Uh, I think he has potential, but I don't feel he is a legend, in my opinion. Um, so you agree with Jan? I'd have to agree with Jan, even if he does break the record. Well, if he does break the record, then I suppose then we're taught. But I just look at him and I don't feel it. I yeah. think stuffing with Palo de Cano, you just felt. He didn't have silverware to back it up, but you just knew. And Mark yeah, Noble has longevity on his side. And that's why he's a legend. So we've got all these sort of... Because the term legend's just thrown around so loosely. Because would we consider Tevez a legend? How long was he at the club? You know? So it's all about different factors for me. And I don't know. I think we might be doing Antonio. He might be a bit hard done by. But I'm just going to... I'm not going to say never. But I'm not saying at the moment. So you make the point with Tevez there. I see Tevez as a hero. I don't see him as a legend at the club. I see him as a hero for what he did and you kept us up. I think yeah. with Antonio, I think... I think he... you speak to a few fans in, in the fan base, I think they'll say otherwise. But, okay, yeah, that's that's a fair point. But I think the same with Antonio. I think a lot of people disagree with you two. I'm being one of them. I see him as a West Ham legend yeah. now. Yeah, I, I do. I genuinely see him as a West Ham legend. I think it's just because of the effort rate and the way that he's developed as a player since joining he he joined from Nottingham Forest and he was he had a dreadful first touch I don't mean in a nasty way but he had a dreadful first touch and it was like a ball in a china shop you never know what he was going to do he was just quick and powerful and he, he'd run at defenders but he could run the ball off the pitch just as easily he is so good on the ball now it's funny because I still kind of view him as that but as, as the ball in the china shop clumsy I just, I don't see that anymore. I don't see that anymore. I, I think he runs himself into the ground and sometimes you might have a sloppy touch at the end of the game. But I think for the first 60, 70 minutes when he's running himself into the ground, he's he's still on it. Yeah. I think he's got so much better as a player since joining. Like he's yeah. turned into a striker for crying out loud. Like he used to be a strong pacey winger and now he's a clinical finisher. That is very true. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. His game has definitely evolved from that. I wouldn't see him as that anymore. And the type of striker he is, uh, he does have that quality touch to finish it. I'm the more I think about it, the more, more I'm trying to your side with because stay remember, on my side. I'm remembering all the celebrations for that pure league could be a legend. They're class. I'm thinking of all, all the goals he scored against Tottenham, and it's I can't lie, the doubt's creeping in. The doubt is creeping in, but I think it's close. I don't <laughs> think it's that. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I get that. And I understand. I, I can see why you wouldn't think he's a legend. Like, I, I do actually see it. I can understand what you're saying. But just in my opinion, I think he, and, when, he and, when he retires or when he leaves the club, he will be a legend. That's what I'm saying. So that's the thing is like, I don't think you can class anyone as a club legend until 
literally 95% of like percent of people agree with you. Like it, like it shouldn't, like, I, I feel like that's when someone is actually a club legend is like when you could go into a room of a hundred people and at least 95 people go like, of course he is. Okay. Whereas that's I fun. feel like with Antonio, it might be like 60, 40, 50, 50. Okay. I, I, I agree. I, I agree with your I agree with your logic, definitely. But I'd be in the sixty or the forty, wherever way you want to put it. So, I mean, for you, you're obviously you've moved to America now. You've got this whole different life compared to us two. Um, you're doing all these crazy things, but you know, you haven't you hadn't been to Upton Park for a few years, had you? Um, you came back to to stay last Christmas. You stayed with me. Um, yeah. we went to watch West Ham play Leicester at the London Stadium with uh, Jim's dad, actually. Um, you know, Brian. <laughs> before the game, I took you to Green Street to look at Upton Park. You said you wanted to see where it looked like now. Um, I know you instantly regretted it when we walked down the street. And obviously, we went straight to the ground after that. Um, what do you think of the new stadium? I know you haven't had many chances to go. You've been a handful of times, obviously, because you're living in America. But what do you think of the new ground? And what, you know, what do you think of it compared to Upton Park, anyway? I mean, it's it's all right. Like it's a it's a nice stadium, yeah. but it's like it's the Olympic Stadium. Like it, not, you you don't get the same feeling, and that was what I was looking for. Like when we went, is what's the feeling like starting from when you leave the house? to like by the end of the day like how was that whole experience and it just wasn't the same as it was like when we used to go to Upton Park like hop on the train hop off go to the chippy get a battered sausage and chips like just go down the pub and then straight into the stadium yeah like it just wasn't it just didn't feel it didn't feel like it, it didn't feel like a home let's get on to you a sec Jim so you know just to echo you in there what's your opinion on the stadium change obviously you've been there a lot of games you're a season ticket holder um I know you miss Upton Park, but what do you miss the most about it? I think the walk down Green Street, just as you get out the station, you see the market on your right-hand side, there's Queens there, um, our favourite chippy. It's just the whole experience. It's just different now, and it does feel very formal. You know, you get more casual fans. The casual fans didn't normally go to a West Ham game. They're more like go to an Arsenal game, but... Now it's just an event to go to the London Stadium to say you've gone, and it does take away from the atmosphere. You know, I never noticed um, to Upton Park since you were a kid, going to all the games you used to go together, you know, your family. Um, I never saw it as intimidating ever. I never saw it as like a rough ground to go to. I never saw it as a scary place to go to. But some of the, some of my mates from uni that would go as away fans, they dreaded it. They they absolutely yeah. dreaded going. They hated it. They said it was a horrible atmosphere. It was in a not the nicest part of London, you know, they, they just didn't enjoy going and they said it was a really intimidating atmosphere. I never knew that as a home fan. I never thought that it was a rough ground. I definitely see where they're coming from because I feel like, I feel like I did know that as a kid, but it was just like, we played into it is, mm-hmm. is how I felt. It was just like, we were part of it, like walking down Green Street and just screaming as loud as we could. Well, I think we uh, were intimidating as thirteen-year-olds walking down Green Street. No, but I know what you mean. No, definitely not. But my yeah, my voice was high as ever, and I was like two foot tall. Leeds have had a bit of a well, they've had a good season, really. To be fair to them, eleventh um, in the table, eleven wins, thirteen defeats, two draws. I think they would have taken that at the start of the season when it was. It's the first time they've been in the top flight for the last 16 years. Um, 
Jim, have you watched much of Leeds this season? And if so, you know, who do you think we should be looking out for? The one that stands out for me was the Leicester game, where I thought they were just superb. I think it was 3-1 on the day. Uh, Paddy Bam ran the show. They showed exactly what sort of what you come to expect the Leeds. They can be great going forward, but at the back, they can be found out. And I think that game um, just sums it up, that 3-1. It was a cracking game. So Bamford <laughs> this season has scored 13 goals in the Premier League in 26 games. He's averaging a goal every other game. Um, he's got five assists. Only Harry Kane, Bruno Fernandes and Mo Salah have scored more goals than him. He's level with Kimmin uh, Son. He's level with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Do you think he can make the squad for the European Championship? I mean, first of all, to like just veer off from that and just say how well he's doing in the Prem. I mean, that's exactly what you want from your striker when you're coming up from the Championship. You're like, yo, you need to step it up and you need to show why like, you belong here and we belong here as a team. And that's exactly what he's done this season. So he's definitely got a foot in there. He's got nearly 40 goals in just over 90 appearances. So, Jim, do you think he's shown that he can actually play in the Premier League this season? Do you think he's proved people wrong? Oh, 100%. He is frame quality. Um, whether he gets called up as the third strike for England, I can't see it happening myself. I think it's a bit too early for him. Um, but yeah, he is a quality striker. And some of the finishes that he's been able to put in the back of the net this year just shows how technically good he is. And mm. I don't think there can be any doubt about that. Yeah, and let's look back on the Leeds game from earlier on in the season. So, obviously, we went to Ellen Road and won 2-1. It's the yeah. first time we've faced them in the Premier League for around 16 years. What did you make of the performance away from home? I mean, we did really well and we got the result. Technically, really should have even had their goal if it wasn't for the mistake from Fabianski. Because he stepped off the line for the pen. Harsh that, so, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it comes down to it at the end of the day. Like, once he's taken that one foot off the line, like, it's going to get retaken. Unlucky with that. But, I mean, then you got Suchek, like, 20 minutes after that, coming in with the incredible header. And then from a set piece, Ogbonna later in the day, probably an even better header, to be honest. So that really just showed, like, how good we were at set pieces. And, like, and in regards to the Man City game, it's like, that shows like when you take those chances, like D up at the end of the game, if he took that header, we would have got a draw. We started the game really slowly. Um, mm. Bamford got in down the middle of our back, well, our back line, went round Fabianski and got taken out. Surprised he didn't take the penalty, you know, surprised that Klitsch actually took it. But we responded really well. Like you say, we scored from two set pieces. I just thought it was a good performance. And since then, I haven't really been worried about us going down to goals early on, you know. Uh, we know Bielsa won't change his tactics. So we know exactly what we're coming up against. And Moyes got it right on that day. So I think if he just keeps the same blueprint, we should be all right. And I predict us to win. Mm. I think the thing with Leeds is to go toe-to-toe and just to outrun them, isn't it? Just to try and match them. They obviously mark one for one. You just need to pick 11 players that are going to run for the duration of the game. You can't have any slackers against Leeds, can you? As long as we keep that pressure up, we'll be fine. You've got a scoreline prediction for the Leeds game? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go for the same in the reverse fixture. I'm going to go for a 2-1. 2-1. Okay. Goal scorers? Oh, now, you, now you're making me think. Uh, I think Lingard's going to be on the score sheet in some way. That's going to be my first time I predict him to score. Your boy. My boy, Jay Lings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Why not? Let's put him down for a brace. Why not? Oh, I like it. I like it. Johan? Look how he switched up. Look how he switched up. I know. Uh, what you got, yeah? I'm going to go 2-0. 2-0. Okay. 
clean sheet. Give, I like it. I'll give one to Lingard. I feel like he's gonna I feel like he's just gonna run, get the ball, catch the ball in midfield, just pierce through the defense, slot it bottom right corner. I feel like we're gonna get a set piece and Suchek's just gonna miss the header and Dawson's gonna come in. Maybe even like a he's gonna get it on the volley and then top left. <laughs> It's a very specific prediction, you know. Very specific. I like it. Wait until it happens. Okay, so that's about all we've got time for this week. Um, Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Jim, it's been good to speak to you again. And Jan, it's been great to catch up, mate. Looking forward to having you back on next week if you are available, if you don't go AWOL on us. No, yeah, I'll be here. I'm staying at home for the rest of my life. (laughs) Any last words, Jim? Uh, Great to be back. And yeah. Hopefully we get that win. Yeah, okay. So we'll catch up next week then, boys. Um, Hope you enjoy the Leeds game. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Hammers Unrestricted podcast in association with the Big Heads Media Group. And we'll catch you soon.